are Locked On Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome into this Thursday edition of Locked On Saints, brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ross Jackson here at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A on Twitter, editor over at CanalStreetChronicles.com, and your host covering your New Orleans Saints every single Monday through Friday. And as always, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting bar on the planet, the best tasting protein bar out there. Go ahead and try it for yourself by visiting BuiltBar.com and be sure to use the promo code locked on to get $10 off of your first box. On today's episode, we're taking a look at schedule release, the Denver Broncos and Saints culture. The NFL's 2020 season schedule releases later today. What do we know so far? And what are the biggest questions and biggest games on that schedule? Then Cody Roark of Locked On Broncos joins to help us get a bit of an offseason look at the final AFC West 2020 opponent. And then finally, we'll close out the show revisiting some of the newly shared details of Delvin Bro's ugly ugly departure from the Saints and what the biggest takeaways are for today's Saints fan. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints, your team every day. The 2020 season could be Drew Brees' last shot at a second Super Bowl, and tonight we'll finally know what the road to glory looks like. That's our New Orleans Saints lead story of the day today with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints. The NFL will release the 2020 season schedule this evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on NFL Network, a full three-hour televised event, which does feel like a lot, yes, but hey, I can't really complain about having something sports-related to watch for three hours this evening. So here's a little bit of what we know, what we've heard, and what we expect both from the schedule release show itself and the 2020 season. Uh, No international games, something that we know for sure. They've canceled the international series for the season, which was originally going to send four games to the UK and one game to Mexico City. The Falcons were actually one of those international hosts in the UK and the fifth or rather fourth UK game, but the fifth international game had not yet been announced. So what we know for sure at this point is that New Orleans will not play any international national games, although there was a little bit of a question mark as to whether or not they would be the Falcons opponent away from home as they have done some divisional matchups in London and in the UK, or if the Saints would somehow end up involved in that fifth unannounced international series game as well. So no international series games for the Saints. And rumor has it that the AFC and NFC opponents will all meet each other in the first four weeks. So for the Saints, for instance, as the Saints only AFC opponents on the schedule are the AFC West, that would mean that the Saints would potentially play the Broncos, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Chiefs in the first four games of the season. Now, what are the biggest questions for the Saints right now? Early home games after the two that they'll play against the AFC. We know that the Chiefs as well as the Chargers are both home games for the Saints. How soon do they get more home games after the initial four games of the season where they're playing against the AFC? And will there be fans? Obviously, the fans question won't be answered at the schedule release, but certainly will be answered as we move closer and closer to the kickoff of the NFL season as it were scheduled at that point. Will the Saints have any extended road trips this season? They had a nice schedule last year to where they only played two games away in a row at most. Will that continue for the Saints or will they see some three, potentially four games away from home? And if they do that, that means that they'll also see some home stands later on in the season would certainly be the better scenario in terms of where those end up as well. And will we have the divisional games 
late? Are we going to see a little bit of a structure that breaks everything down so that we see those first four AFC opponents and then maybe some divisional games, maybe the uh, you know three of the six, and then you get to your NFC opponents and then the final three of those six divisional games toward the end of the season? I think keeping some divisional games for the end of the year is definitely going to be smart, especially considering the additional playoff teams that you're going to see in each conference and the ability now to where you're very likely going to see some team play some two teams play three times in a season as they both end up making the playoffs from the same division now what are some of the best games this season that i'm looking forward to well let's look at some of the rematches to start off with first of all the minnesota rematch from the wild card game is definitely going to be a big game that is at home in the dome for the saints again uh, also at home in the dome and another rematch is going to be against the san francisco 49ers that game was such a huge huge moment for the NFL last season, 48-46 to 46 victory for the 49ers, but still an impressive game by the Saints, a very impressive game by Drew Brees, who was responsible for six total touchdowns and no turnovers in that game. Uh, just an incredible performance by both of those teams, and now you get an opportunity to rematch it with both those teams now having reloaded at some point or another on their roster where they were actually weak last season. So that'll be a very fun game to watch for sure. Both of those rematches at home for the Saints are going to be a lot of fun to see. Uh, some big matchups at home. Uh, come against, of course, Green Bay, hosting Aaron Rodgers, now Jordan Love as well, uh, and the Green Bay Packers, and then also hosting the Kansas City Chiefs, the reigning Super Bowl uh, champion Kansas City Chiefs at that. Both of those games are sure to be electrifying as well. Big matchups on the road include Philadelphia and Las Vegas, and if there are any trap games on the season, I'd have to point out the Lions game as well as the Broncos game in Denver. As we make apparent with our good friend Cody Roark from over at Locked On Broncos, that is a very, very good team over there. And now, Finally, how many primetime or national games will the Saints see? Remember that 315 time slot is always a prime slot as well in terms of the game of the week or America's game of the week being a national time slot. So I look at one of the Tampa Bay games, one of the Atlanta games, the Kansas City, Green Bay, Minnesota, and San Francisco games, all as potential uh, contests that have a shot at being nationally televised. You can also throw the Philadelphia and Las Vegas games in there as they have potential as well, especially with the game being in Las Vegas at their new stadium. So could we see as many as four or five primetime games for the Saints in 2020, as such as Tampa Bay, Atlanta, if they see a Thanksgiving primetime rematch, uh, Kansas City and San Francisco. Uh, I don't think that they'll make the mistake of putting San Francisco in the middle of the day again. I think that's certainly going to be a primetime matchup in 2020. And then, of course, the cherry on top with this entire schedule is going to be the divisional matchups as well. And of course, the placement of those divisional matchups being very important, as we mentioned before, and whether or not there will be fans uh, will be very important. But unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, that's a question that we won't have answered today with the schedule release and that we'll have to wait until we get a little bit closer to the anticipated kickoff of the NFL season for that one. But uh, very much looking forward to this NFL schedule release, very much looking forward to the NFL season, of course, as well. Uh, I'll have a video reaction up over at Canal Street Chronicles a little bit after the schedule is released, or at least this evening. And then, of course, you'll get a full reaction, a full breakdown of the schedule in tomorrow's episode, along with your questions from the Locked on Saints Facebook group to wrap up the week. But we're not done here yet. We still have a big conversation around the Delvin Bro news, as well as welcoming our good friend Cody Rorak in from Locked On Broncos to help get the offseason outlook of the Saints versus the Broncos. We got that coming up for you next here on Locked On Saints, your team every day. 
So as we experience lockdowns all across the world, I've found myself getting pretty bored during the day, and I'm a bored eater. I'm one of those guys where I feel like I'm hungry, but I'm not actually hungry. I just am bored, and so I'll end up snacking on everything that I bought to try to you know, stock up for the week because going to the grocery store is kind of ridiculous right now. But thankfully, we have been given these built bars. And that's been huge because whenever I get a little craving for a little something, I can eat something that's actually going to be beneficial for me. Seven times less carbs than those other guys, seven times less sugar than those other guys. And because there's 20 grams of protein in these things, it actually sustains me, makes me feel full throughout a little portion of the day and curbs more of those cravings so that I'm not in there just recklessly eating like I am so apt to do. And on top of all that, it just tastes fantastic. And when I tell y'all that these are the best tasting protein bars in the world, I am not kidding with you. I've gone through tons of protein bars that are chalky, that are gritty, that are honestly just gross. And you have to throw them in the microwave for a little while in order to power your way through them. This is no chore. Eating a built bar is actually a little bit of joy. Uh, and so I take that very, very seriously. And I want to make sure that you understand that these built bars are a game changer. If you want to try them for yourselves, head over to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on all one word all caps to get ten dollars off your first box at builtbar.com again that's promo code locked on to get ten dollars off your first box at builtbar.com all right y'all keep it rolling here at locked on saints with the afc west crossover wrapping up on today's episode with a visit from cody roark of locked on broncos very very good friend of mine very excited to be able to hop on the mic with him we had a blast you're gonna get one segment from us but there is an extended version of our conversation with a little bit more of the saints focus in there as well which you can find over at his youtube page cody roark nfl which is of course also his twitter handle at cody roark nfl and you can all follow him there as well as at locked on broncos let's go ahead and jump into this conversation Again, getting a little bit of an off-season outlook at the Saints and Broncos. I need to just ask you really quick to give us a little bit of thoughts on how you feel about the Saints bringing in Emmanuel Sanders, because that was definitely one of the biggest moves for this New Orleans Saints team this offseason. Well, you know, I uh, the moment I saw that across the ticker tape during NFL free agency, I was like, wow. They are getting more explosive. Drew Brees has so many more weapons. How cool is it for Emmanuel Sanders to be able to play with guys like Peyton Manning and now Drew Brees? I'm not going to mention Jimmy G because that was really just a you know a six-game something stretch for them there. But mm-hmm. being able to play with two Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, I think is great for Emmanuel Sanders. Right. And I just look at what Emmanuel Sanders can provide to any football team when healthy. And he mm-hmm. provided the 49ers with a tremendous boost. You saw that when the Saints and the 49ers played last season. Emmanuel Sanders just getting behind coverage. That's how good he is. And now Drew Brees has a weapon like him. You factor that in with a guy like Michael Thomas and Jared Cook at the tight end position, mm-hmm. Alvin Kamara as a running back. I, I tell you what, they, they're a scary team right now on paper, and I'm just so excited for Emmanuel Sanders. He's a great dude, always treated me well uh, when we mm-hmm. talked in, in the media. And I think for Sanders, this is a perfect fit for him at the point that he's at in his career. The Saints yeah. – they are a contender. They're trying to push. And Emmanuel Sanders makes them so much more better, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree uh, with that. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders was so good for San Francisco against the Saints that he threw a touchdown. Like, that's how good he was. <laughs> Man, he might be was... the best quarterback in the league in terms of passer <laughs> rating right now. He did the same thing with the Broncos. I mean, he threw one to Cortland Sutton. Uh, and so I think he's two for two in the last two years for, uh, you know, throwing touchdown passes. It's crazy. It's wild. We keep cracking a lot of jokes because, you know, now the Saints have Drew Brees, Taysom Hill. They just drafted Tommy Stevens. They add uh, a Jameis Winston, of course, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But then they also have guys like, 
Adam Troutman, Caden Ellis, and Zach Bond now, who are all triple option quarterbacks in high school. And then you have the, the, the throwing arm of Emmanuel Sanders as well. So the big question is, when does Sean Payton load out the five quarterback set, or rather the six quarterback set, uh, if you count Emmanuel Sanders? Because it, it's going to be a little bit of a wild season to see how all that plays out for sure. Well, well Ross, we called it right here, okay? So I, I this is exactly what's going to happen in 2020. You're going to see the same exact play design that Emmanuel Sanders did with the 49ers against the Saints, except you're going to see a direct snap with Taysom Hill. He's going to roll. Well, actually, no, it's going to be with Drew Brees. You're going to see that. Uh-huh. He's going to be a jet motion Manuel Sanders is going to get it and then he's going to pass it to Taysom Hill you're going to see that setup I guarantee it I think there's some really interesting additions for this team that was a very uh very uh let me say productive offseason for Denver it's a, it's, it's an offseason that I really enjoyed watching from afar uh, but I want to ask specifically about one player that's added in, in uh, Melvin Gordon who is somebody that we have known to be a very productive back he's coming off of kind of a weird year with the holdout and everything like that but how do you feel adding a piece like Melvin Gordon Gordon to that offense where you have a young quarterback, where you have a, a developing offensive line, and you have you know a, a running attack now with a guy that really is kind of on a year's worth of fresh legs at this point and shows a lot of electrifying ability, not only as a runner, but also as a pass catcher and an outlet for that young quarterback. How does adding somebody like Melvin Ingram, I'm sorry, uh, Melvin Gordon, help that offense continue to, to develop and get better? You know, I think it was a necessary move when you really look at the overall product of the Broncos run game. Philip Lindsay, mm-hmm. back-to-back thousand-yard rushing seasons for him. He's been phenomenal. You know, he's had to work with uh, less, and he's been able to achieve a lot more. You know, for him being the first player in NFL history as an undrafted rookie free agent to go a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons, that is applaudable. However, Philip Lindsay's not the biggest of guys, so you don't want him taking a lot of contact. You don't want him taking twenty to twenty-five carries per game. Yeah, and the Broncos weren't getting enough out of Royce Freeman in 2019 who battled some injuries and just couldn't find the confidence in his offense uh, that we saw Lindsey have. So, you know, we were hoping there was going to be a one-two punch there. It was really not that dynamic for the Broncos in 2019. You add in Melvin Gordon, who Vic Fangio said, you know, after watching him, when he made his return, he made his return in uh, 2019 against the Broncos. Ironically, you know, he shook off a little bit of rust uh, in a couple weeks after that game. But Vic Fangio went to John Elway and said, what do you think about adding to the running back position? And John Elway and him were both on the same exact page there. And Melvin Gordon was one of their top targets that they were going to try to bring in for NFL free agency. Awesome. And and for him, Melvin Gordon's got a chip on his shoulder this year. He had a lot of people saying that, you know, he's an average tailback because he held out. So he remembers all that criticism. He wants to prove people wrong but if you go back and you watch the tape he is a bigger back he's going to be the premier back right now doesn't mean that Philip Lindsay is going to be excluded from the offense and I hope a lot of people understand that but mm-hmm. overall when you have two backs like Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay just the skill sets that they have to complement one another I think that you can have a very successful duo and we've seen the NFL they've embraced the running back by committee approach the New Orleans Saints have done that as well in the mm-hmm. past too rather than just giving it all to Alvin Kamara they split it up equally amongst tailbacks which is smart in this day and age once we see the spread them out style of football so that's what the Broncos would be getting in Melvin Gordon and and I look I think it was a necessary move for the Broncos to make yeah I mean I can tell you from experience that whole idea that you bring up in terms of not putting that much wear and tear on Philip Lindsay as somebody that's not a bigger back is so important because we saw Alvin Kamara get a lot more attention in 2019 than we saw in 2017 2018 where he had a running mate running mate like uh, Mel I'm sorry like uh, Mark Ingram you know and it ended up in a couple of injuries uh pretty significant injuries at that and so that's definitely a, a smart move by that organization to go ahead and preserve that run game and preserve somebody that is a playmaker like Philip Lindsay for his absolutely long 
long as you can, as of course, running backs have a very short shelf life in the NFL, unfortunately. So we're hoping to see that a bit from the Saints offense as well, in terms of creating a little bit more of a share between Alvin Kamara and uh, Latavius Murray now, who came into the building last year and filled in fantastic for the Saints in that Bears and Jaguars game in Alvin Kamara's place. Although Alvin Kamara did appear in a bit of that Jaguars game. And so hopefully a little bit of a share from him. We're hoping maybe to get a little bit more of a three running back committee as well, which we've seen Sean Payton excel with. Look back at the Super Bowl year, for instance. But, you know, speaking of putting together a committee of offensive weapons, the, uh, the, the Broncos really helped themselves, I believe, with that in this draft, adding Jerry Judy, adding KJ Hamler as well. Uh, what do you feel? How do you feel right now going into this 2020 season when it comes to what that wide receiver core can bring along with Drew Locke and and now this running attack that's been added as well. I just feel like this can be a very diverse offense. They have some very good weapons at the tight end position too. So what's the confidence like right now in that offense? Well, Drew Locke said it to us yesterday on a conference call that the moves that the Broncos have made this offseason mean that, you know, it shows him that they have confidence in him as a quarterback. And for them to do that, it gives him the ultimate confidence himself in preparation. We've seen it. Cortland Sutton would get double teamed on third down or long passing situations in 2019 because he evolved to be a big play threat for the team. And then they just didn't have anybody else opposite of him stepping up. Noah Fant was yep. the next leading receiver, and he wasn't even close in terms of yardage uh, in comparison to where Cortland Sutton was. So they had other wide receivers, Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton on the roster. Deshaun came into his own a little bit once Drew Locke got inserted into that starting lineup Tim Patrick you know he had 16 receptions in 2019 14 of them were for first down so he's one of those big play possession type guys when you really need a big play but what the Broncos have been missing is a speed dynamic they added that with KJ Hamler now it was a complete shock that Jerry Judy fell to number 15 in the NFL draft him and CeeDee Lamb being available there is criminal they should have been in my opinion, Jerry Judy should have been the first wide receiver off the board with how talented he was. Mm -hmm. So what happened was, is Jerry Judy comes into the mix. He can play inside, he can play outside. Mm -hmm. And what that gives you the uh, matchup kind of scenario here where you could place Cortland Sutton on one side of the field and you could place Jerry Judy on the other side of the field. And then you factor in, if you go a Twins 800 set, let's mm -hmm. say on the left side we have Cortland Sutton. Inside the slot you have a guy like K.J. Hamler. Let's yep. say on the right side, if I'm Drew Locke, I'm looking on the outside, I've got Jerry Judy. And then I've also got a guy like Tim Patrick on the outside. And so I've got Jerry Judy inside. I've got Tim Patrick on the outside. I have size on the outside, speed and route running ability on the inside there. And then you have Noel Fant. And then you have Melvin Gordon or right. Philip Lindsay out of the backfield. It's pick your poison. And so for NFL defenses, they can't play the Denver Broncos in a disguise look. They have to pretty much show a too high safety look. They got to cheat over to the side, which is the near threat, more than likely the field side of, of uh, sure. the play for wherever the, you know, the team is lining up to. So that's what we're going to see from teams with that dynamic there. Now, obviously it's great on paper. We got to see what it looks like on the field, but mm -hmm. you know, the Broncos have gone all in and adding weapons for Drew Locke and, and look, Ross, it's safe to say that they are locked on. All right, y'all. Always a blast kicking it with Cody, good friend of mine uh, here on the network. So very glad that we got to be able to put that together. Again, you can watch the extended rest of the interview that also features more of my Saints focus questions that I didn't include in this uh, in, in this cut up just because I wanted you to get more from Cody about the Broncos as opposed to hearing me say the same things that I've said a million times in this podcast about the Saints. But if you want to check it out, you can find it over on his YouTube page, Cody Roark NFL. You can also follow him on Twitter at Cody Roark NFL and do keep up with him too because 
because he's a good dude, puts out great content, works really closely to uh, Benjamin Albright, who I know a lot of Saints fans uh, are fans of. And he also does a lot of film study too. So you can check him out over there uh, as well. So make sure you give him a follow again, Cody Roark NFL, as well as at Locked on Broncos. All right, coming up next, we're going to dive a little bit into the Delvin Bro situation. He's done a bit of a media march here recently and recently really started to open up about how his time in New Orleans really came to an end, his fallout with Sean Payton, things like that. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about why it's important for today's Saints fans to have that context. Got that coming up for you next year on Locked on Saints, your team every day. All right, y'all, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and it means it's time to start the competition with people important in your mom's life. Yes, I love me some good competition, and especially when it comes to gift giving. Mother's Day is her Super Bowl, so celebrate this Mother's Day by scoring her favorite gift of the day. Your mom will be able to travel in her mind to idyllic India, sample the food, and laugh at the tribulations that come with raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book of fiction called The Henna Artist. By the way, it's Reese Witherspoon's book club's pick for May, then any time in May, post a picture of you or your mom holding that ebook or even the hard copy book on Instagram or Facebook and tag the author at the Alkajoshi and a donation of four meals per post up to 10,000 meals will go to Feeding America. So everybody, buy the Hannah Artist today at your favorite bookseller, including Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco and Target and make mom the ultimate winner of your family. All right, family, wrapping up today's episode of Locked on Saints, we're going to dive a little bit into this Delvin Bro news that's been circulating around a lot. He visited uh, over at ESPN's 1420 AM, which is up in Acadiana, and he spoke a little bit more in detail about his time in New Orleans, and more specifically, the sort of tumultuous way that it came to an end. Uh, You can also get a little bit more of a condensed and maybe a censored version of the story as well over at our good friend Christmas Vogelou's show, uh, Straight Up Saints. About 20 minutes, great listen, and really compact. Uh, Chris does a great job at just like asking the question and getting out of the way, and uh, sort of letting... uh, Delvin sort of tell that story, but then also injecting a little bit of positivity as well, asking about like the LSU Tigers and things like that, which we know Delvin loves to talk about his LSU Tigers. So, and he loves to talk about his Saints too, but it it just seems that there was a little bit more of a a tumultuous end to that relationship for Delvin, who of course ended up being misdiagnosed when it came to uh, a broken fibula. And that pretty much ended his NFL career, not necessarily because of the injury, but just because things kind of fell out of favor. They tried to rush him back. It sounds like quite a bit. And Delvin was very vocal and very honest about where he was in his recovery, which was not 100%. He was sort of quoting himself at around 30, 40, 50%. And in being told by Coach Payton and others that, well, your 50% is better than a bunch of other people's 100% in the NFL. And so we want you out on this field. And it just ended up causing more problems. Because remember, he was misdiagnosed. I think it was a leg contusion or something like that that he was diagnosed with, or something far more minor than an actual like broken bone. And come to find out it actually was a broken bone and those two doctors were fired but unfortunately Delvin Bro also wasn't brought back and that was something that he spoke to uh, in that interview over at 1420 is that he you know a lot of people ask him well why didn't you, why did you leave the Saints which of course we never asked him here on this show because we understood the way that things went down uh, in terms of you know him just simply not being brought back but it's something that's disappointing for him and he talked a bit about that and talked about just kind of how the end of that that particular journey went for him and it, it wasn't pretty it was actually quite ugly it sounds 
like. I mean, to a point where there was physical altercations with Sean Payton, Sean Payton pounding on the desk saying, call me man one more time and like all this other stuff and like kind of threatening Delvin Bro as well. And the thing about that I, I like to take away from this and that Delvin is really sort of keen to make sure that people understand as well is that this is kind of a moment in time for Coach Payton and for Delvin and that this isn't as big a deal to him anymore. He's very much, you heard him on this show talking about his sort of focus on positivity and 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 just sort of, uh, you know, allaying any type of toxicity and stuff like that and how he's ready to just get back out on the field and do what he does and, you know, make that all-star team the way that he wants to make the all-star team. You know, remember he was an all-star in the CFL the year that he, the same year that he was not brought back by the Saints uh, where you know they were you know they were worried about his injury and things like that, and so he went out there and performed, and is now still the highest paid defensive back in the Canadian Football League. So Delvin Bro, very much still a high level player, but it just sounds like the end in New Orleans uh, wasn't fantastic. But he's mentioned that, and he talks about it more specifically on Chris's podcast on Straight Up Saints that you know the relationship between him and uh, you know Sean Payton might not be perfect, but it's not the worst either, and it's still something. You know, he mentioned how he got along with Drew Brees and how like everything's fine outside of that moment in time is the way that he referred to it. And I I like the way that he looks at that because he's very much the type of guy to put something behind him if he needs to and not hold grudges. Although he is certainly making the media march right now to share his side of the story that hasn't really yet been shared. So I'm excited for him in that. Uh, Make sure again, you can check him out on Twitter at broshow24. You can check him out over on Instagram as well at broshow underscore apparel underscore and in support his uh, clothing line endeavor as well. But the reason why this is really important for Saints fans of today is a couple of different things. I mean, many of us that are Saints fans today were huge fans of Delvin Bro, just his story, uh, you know, everything that he did against adversity to get to the level of play that he was at. He was a fantastic corner for the Saints when he was healthy and on the field, and he's a fantastic corner now that he's healthy and on the field in the CFL. And so, you know, some of us are still big fans of his, but we'd certainly love to be seeing him make those all-star games in the NFL. I guess the Pro Bowl, I guess you would say, uh, in the NFL, as opposed to making those all-star teams in the CFL. And so there is that. But the other thing that's very important for Saints fans of today is just an understanding of how different the culture is in New Orleans is since that 2017 season. Remember, that was the season to where, you know, Rob Ryan ended up getting fired. The the defense wasn't, you know, sorry, the transition into the 2017 season. Obviously, the 2017 season really marked the turnaround for the Saints. But during that offseason and by the end of that year, things were really sour in a lot of different places. You saw a terrible play from the defense in 2016. You saw Delvin Bro, you know, everything that was going on with him hurt and, uh, you know, the, the relationships that were kind of being spoiled around there. Rob Ryan was getting fired. Dennis Allen was replacing. All these other things had gone on in that 2016 season that just sort of created a really, I keep using this word, but I really do think it's the best word for this situation, sort of a tumultuous relationship in terms of the culture of the New Orleans Saints. Now you're hearing Alvin Kamara and Teron Armstead on Instagram Live talking about how there's stuff that happens all around the league that makes them go, man, I'm just glad that I'm a saint. I'm just glad that I'm here. I'm glad that I'm in New Orleans. You hear Cade Nellis here on the show talking about, you know, the importance of the culture for the New Orleans Saints and what that team brings and the joy that he has being a part of that team. You hear Michael Burton on the show as well talking about how he chose to come to the Saints because of the top-down culture and the fact that guys like Sean Payton and even all the way up to owner Gail Benson really set a tone of positivity 
positivity for the franchise and a tone of culture, togetherness, and family for the franchise as well. And that's something that people want to be a part of. We're watching free agents go to New Orleans because they want to go to New Orleans to be a part of the culture. You're looking at guys like Cam Jordan who have stepped up to become very vocal and very, uh, I'll say, cultural leaders for the Saints. You look at all of the, the positivity that Demario Davis is bringing, not only on the field, but off the field as well. Look back at Ben Watson, who rejoined the Saints and all of the incredible work that he still does within the community. Look at, uh, you know, Drew Brees donating $5 million to COVID relief in Louisiana. Uh, you know, uh, what was it? He he just recently surprised uh, a young fan with a, um, with, with a video call and everything and is sending him, I believe, a signed jersey or some type of signed memorabilia as well. Like the culture is just mad different in New Orleans right now in 2020 or heading into the 2020 season and certainly is much different in 2017 on 2018, 2019 than it was prior to that during those, say, seven and nine seasons. That's the other part of that 2016 season is that it was the third of three straight seven and nine seasons where this team felt like it had every bit of the potential that it needed, particularly on the offensive side, to win a Super Bowl, but unfortunately just continued to shoot itself in the foot with bad situational play calling on the defensive side, bad coaching on the defensive side, and and sometimes uh, lack of execution on the offensive side when the defense did show up in a game. And so it just never felt like things were going 100%, were going to go 100% right for the Saints during those three years. And that had to be that had to cause a rift in a lot of relationships in that locker room and, uh, you know, between the coaching staff and the players and things like that. And we certainly get our understanding of it um, in in Delvin Bro's story. You know, they were going out to Greenbrier, like all this stuff, big time culture changes that happened after that to where they went back to the Saints facilities. They really put a focus on home and family and rebranding that uh, rebranding that locker room and sort of rebranding the culture of the New Orleans Saints to where it is a little, a little bit of a buy-in type of a culture at this point. And so um, it's an interesting thing and it's something we can be grateful for on this end of it. I mean, it sucks that Delvin Bro's not in New Orleans. I always hate that and I still hate that to this day uh, that we didn't really get to see his career play out the way that I believe his career should have played out in New Orleans but even still you can look back at the positives that come with the big shift in culture happening when it happened and the way that it's happened and now we've seen the Saints go from three straight seven and nine seasons to three straight playoff seasons and now embarking on a potential fourth where they're trying to get this final Super Bowl for Drew Brees before he's eventually out of the door but again the culture of the New Orleans Saints is something that's going to live on beyond Drew Brees and now after Drew Brees is going to continue to be a big benefit for this team moving forward. And that's something that we as Saints fans get the opportunity to watch, get the opportunity to understand as we look back at times where it wasn't as positive and now also get the opportunity to appreciate. So 100% a sad and unfortunate situation, the thing that the way that things came to an end when it came to Delvin Bro, but certainly something that people seem to have grown from at this point moving forward. So uh, that's going to do it, everybody, for today's episode. I, I really just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this, this incident and speak on the Saints culture and everything because I think that that incident is not an example of where the Saints are right now, but it is still an example that people should take seriously and uh, should really seek out more information about. And you can find all that over at 1420 AM. You can catch it over on their Twitter account. And you can also check out, again, uh, Straight Up Saints, where Chris Roswogaloo's podcast over there to where he speaks on it uh, a little bit more briefly. Uh, but you can catch the full in detail and sort of explicit explanation over at 1420. Uh, all right, y'all, that's going to do it for today's episode. Again, 
again, we get the NFL schedule released tonight. Y'all can look for another episode in the morning tomorrow, uh, sort of recapping everything and giving a little bit of a preview. Yes, I will do a record prediction tomorrow after we get an idea of what the schedule breaks out to, just for fun. Obviously, we don't know what the 53-man roster for any of these teams looks like, so we'll get a better idea later. But it'll be fun to take a look at that. And of course, we'll take your questions from the Locked on Saints Facebook group as well, which you can join at facebook.com slash groups slash Locked on Saints. We got all that coming up to wrap up the week tomorrow. But for now, I'll say as I always do, thank you so much as always for coming through. Once again, I'm Ross Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. Tell your friends, family, and fellow Saints fans about the show. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe, drop that five-star rating and review. I thank you so much for all your support and for helping me grow this family. This has been Locked on Saints and Trust Student Nation. I'll holla at you.